Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. If you want to grab your Bible this morning, Nehemiah chapter number 4. Nehemiah chapter number four. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, whatever it takes. I want to preach the first installment of this series. And the title to my message today is Spears and Shovels. Spears and Shovels. Are you ready today? All right. Three of you are ready today on Vision Sunday. On Vision Sunday, we've got to do a little bit better than that. Are you ready this morning? There we go. There we go. Spears and shovels. Nehemiah chapter 4. And uh, we'll cover several different verses this morning. We'll kind of jump around a little bit. But for sake of time today, let's start reading with verse number 14. Nehemiah has a God-given burden to go and rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem. So he's right in the middle of this building project. He's encountering some opposition. But he looks at the people and he says this in verse 14. And I looked... And I rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Can I encourage you today when you're going through opposition, when you're going through a difficult season, remember the Lord. He is able. He is faithful. He is powerful. Nehemiah says, Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. And fight. Everybody say fight. Fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to not, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them both spears, the shields, and the bows, and the, and the habergens, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. Verse 17. They which builded on the wall, and they that bear burdens, and those that laid it, every one of them with one of his hands wrought in the work. Everybody said the work. And with the other hand, they held a weapon. On the one hand, they were occupied with the work. With the other hand, they had a weapon. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning for a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much our time together. God, thank you for this opportunity to worship you, worship you and serve you. God, I pray that we would catch the vision of your word today and, and uh, what you want to communicate to us through your word and that we would understand the, the heart behind this campaign and this series of whatever it takes. And uh, God, I pray that we would be focused and surrendered and that we would have an open heart today to receive the message that you have for us. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. How many of you have ever played a game of laser tag? Can I see your hands? You've played laser tag before. Uh, the other day, it was our family's day off, and so we decided to take our older children to go and to play a game of laser tag. And uh, Liv and Luke, they have never played laser tag before, so they had no idea what to expect. And we walked in there, and, you know, they had kind of had sensory overload. They're kind of looking around, and, you know, it's dark, and there's lights shining everywhere, and they're a little bit nervous, a little bit scared. But I'm kind of giving them a pep talk, like, we got, we got this. We can do this, you know. And so we played the first game, and, and uh, you know, the vests were bigger than their entire bodies, but they were excited. 
excited. They were, they were playing, and, and uh, they kind of got the hang of things. I'm teaching them how to play a little bit. They're loving it. And uh, so we got done playing the game, and we lost terribly. And uh, our team just, uh, we lost terribly. And so the kids, they said, we want to play one more time. Let's play one more game. And so I said, okay, last game. And so we went, we purchased one more game. And we went, and uh, we were waiting for the second game to start. And as we were waiting, it was us four, because Blakely wasn't with us. It was, it was my family of four. And uh, another family of four walked into the room. And uh, I said, hello, uh, how are you? And we kind of just waved at each other uh, for a second. But as soon as I saw that other family, I looked at Katie and I said, as serious as I could, we are not losing this game. Like, like we are, we are going to give it everything that we We've got, I looked at Liv and Luke and I said, remember what daddy taught you, right? Shoot at the shoulders and run fast and go for the base. And, you know, I, I was taking it serious. I think Katie was taking it more serious than I was because in the game, I heard her yelling at Liv, Liv, shoot him in the back, shoot him in the back. Uh, she was, uh, she was all in. She was serious. And uh, as soon as I saw that, hey, we have some real competition here, I, I started to take our mission very seriously in that laser tag game. We had a mission and I wasn't about to take it lightly. The truth is this morning, as followers of Jesus, we have a God-given mission, and we cannot afford to take that mission lightly. We have to uh, carry out this mission, carry out this calling that God has given us with all seriousness and a sober mind. Uh, the Bible says this in Acts chapter 13, verse 47. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles. He says, I, I've set you, I've, I've called you to be a light unto the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And so God has called us, and God has given us this mission, and that, that mission is to reach people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. And if you're new, uh, that is our mission statement as a church, to reach people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. And so it should be our heart then to do whatever it takes short of sin to reach people because that's what God has called us to do. That is our mission, and we have to take that mission very seriously. I love the Apostle Paul. Uh, he had, a, he had this, this passion about him that was contagious, and he talked about how he was just willing to do whatever it takes to, to see the gospel message spread. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 9, in verse number 19. He says, For though I be free from all men, Yet I have made myself a servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ. That I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. And I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Paul was saying, I'm willing to do all of this. Watch this. Uh, I'm willing to do all of this by, by all means to save some. And this I do, watch this, for the gospel's sake. Paul said, I'm willing to be whatever I need to be uh, for what God wants me to do to reach more people for the sake of the gospel. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And I just love that heart and I love that mindset. And if we're going to see God work in 2020, we've got to have that same mindset that says, you know what? I'm willing to do whatever it takes. If it takes surrender, I'm going to do that. If it takes sacrifice, I'm going to do that. If it takes generosity, I'm going to do that. If it takes service, that's what I'm going to do. Hey, whatever it takes, I'm serious about the mission that God has given me. Paul said, to the weak, I became weak. To the strong, I became strong. To the Jew, I was a Jew. To the gen Paul said, man, whatever group I was with, uh, Paul was not compromising. He was saying, I, I want to be all things to all men so that I might by all means save some. I just want to see people saved. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. That was the mindset. I wonder this morning, do we have the same mindset? Do we have the same heart that says, I'm willing to go out of my comfort zone to see someone come to Christ? I'm willing to do whatever it takes to see my neighbor, to see my family member, to see my relative come to know Jesus Christ. Because that's ultimately why we're here as a church. 
We're here to give glory to God, and we're here to make disciples. We're here to go out into the community and tell people about Jesus. That's, why we're, that's, our, that's our mission. We have to be willing to do whatever it takes. Now, as we think about our mission and building the kingdom of God, uh, the, the study of Nehemiah is a great case study. Uh, Nehemiah was involved in this building project, and he was building and advancing uh, the kingdom. And uh, 500 years before Jesus came, the Babylonians came, and they completely uh, destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And uh, so it took um, uh, the nation of Israel about 141 years to rebuild the city and to kind of get things back to normal. And really three men were responsible for this. The first man was named Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel came, and he was responsible for rebuilding the temple. He came in, it took him about 20 years, and he completely uh, rebuilt the temple so that the people could have a place to go and worship God. The second man that came in was a man named Ezra. Ezra was the man that was responsible for bringing spiritual reform and revival to the people. So now they had a temple, now they had a preacher to come in and to bring revival among the people, but they were still missing one thing. They still had one problem. They didn't have any protection. Uh, the walls were completely open. They, they had fallen to the ground, and so the enemy could just come in. And so Nehemiah had a burden in his heart, and he requested permission of the king, King Artaxerxes. And he says, can I go and, and rebuild the wall? And so Nehemiah went, and he was building the wall so that the city would be protected because he knew that even though they had a heart of worship, if they didn't protect that heart of worship, if they didn't protect that city, it would be vulnerable for destruction. And by the way, it's the same in our lives. You might have uh, the right heart to worship, but if you don't learn to guard your heart and protect your heart, you're going to be vulnerable uh, for uh, an attack from the enemy. That is why Proverbs says, keep thine heart, guard thine heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And so we've got to be serious about uh, guarding and protecting the mission that God has given us and guarding uh, and protecting uh, the heart of worship that should be within us. And so that's Nehemiah. He's going and he's advancing the cause of God. He's building the walls up. He's involved with this, with this building project, this process. And if you read chapter number three of Nehemiah, you would think that everything is just going great. Things were going with, kind of without a snag. Uh, chapter three says, and so-and-so built this gate, and so-and-so built this gate, and this person went over here, and they constructed this part of the wall, and this part of the wall went up, and this person built this gate. Everything's going great, but then we get to chapter number four, and now Nehemiah is about to experience some opposition. He's about to encounter uh, a cycle of setbacks. And through all of that, I love that Nehemiah had the same mindset that Paul had in the New Testament. Hey, whatever it takes to get this job done, whatever it takes, that's what we're going to do. And not only did Nehemiah have that, but the people of Israel had that same mindset. Because in verse number six, as we'll see in a moment, it says that the people had a mind to work. They, they were ready to do this. They were willing to do whatever it takes. And so this morning, as we kick off this campaign, and as we talk about uh, the second service launch, and as we talk about what we believe God wants to do in this year, I, I want to give us uh, four ways that we can instill within us this mindset of whatever it takes. Four ways that we can have this mindset of whatever it takes. Are you ready today? Yeah. Number one, if we're going to have this mindset, we have to, number one, recognize the task at hand. We have to recognize the task at hand. Notice verse number one. It says this, but it came to pass, now this is right in the middle of the project, it came to pass, when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth, and he took great indignation, and he mocked the Jews. And so this man, Sanballat, comes, and he was a Horonite, which means that he was a Samaritan, which means that he hated the Jewish people. And so the fact that the Jewish people were, were rebuilding the temple and, and starting to worship Yahweh and starting to worship the one true God, and now that this, these walls were being built for protection, Sanballat doesn't like that at all because it frustrates his political position. 
And so Sanballat is frustrated. He's angry. The Bible says he's filled with wrath. And so he comes and he is now criticizing and he is discouraging Nehemiah in this project. And I want you to know that when we recognize the task at hand and when we survey the landscape of what God will call us to do and what God wants us to do, you can mark it down. There will be challenges. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be difficulty. If it wasn't hard enough for Nehemiah to build this wall around the entire city, now he has opposition from the enemy, and now he has people criticizing and, 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 and throwing these insults at him. And so there will be challenges. I, I remember growing up, uh, one day my dad, he, he told me, he said, Matt, I want you to get a friend, and I have a job for you to do. I want you to go out, and I want you to pick all of the, the apples off off the trees in the backyard. We had this apple orchard in our backyard, and my dad said, I want you to go and pick all the apples. And I thought, I thought that should be easy. That should be no problem. I can look out the window, and I can see all the apples hanging there. I'll just go pick them. And so I grabbed a friend. And not only that, my dad said he was going to pay us, which was, like, amazing, right? We were like, okay, uh, let's do this. And so uh, we went out there. We started picking apples. But within the first three minutes, I realized this was going to be a lot harder than I thought. And the reason it was going to be a lot harder than I thought is because I found out that those apple trees were infested with beehives. Uh, there were beehives everywhere. And so I would pick, I picked one of those apples, and there were hundreds of bees that just came around me and swarmed me. And I was like, I'm out. I don't do bees. Like, I'm done. And I ran back inside, and uh, I was like, I'm not going back out there again, not, not one more time. Uh, but my friend said, no, let, let's get all bundled up, and let's, like, like, build a bee protection suit. And so that's what we did. I put on, like, three pairs of pants. I put on a big jacket. I put on some snowboarding goggles and some snowboarding gloves and we went out there with buckets and we started picking apples uh, to get the job done but it was a lot harder than I thought uh, there were some challenges bees that came along with that project hey whenever you decide that you're going to be serious about following the will of God just know that opposition will follow just know that there's going to be some challenges there's going to be some difficulty and here's Nehemiah he's recognizing the task at hand he's thinking man I got to build this wall and now he has some opposition coming his direction. There will be challenges, but the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He says, hey, be unmovable, be steadfast in the work of the Lord. Your labor is not in vain. When we have the right perspective to these challenges that come our way, we'll understand and we will recognize that opposition sometimes comes with it an advantage. There's, there's often an unseen advantage to adversity. In fact, uh, one historian, Will Durant, he said this, talking about uh, the Roman Empire. He said, Rome remained, as great, uh, remained great as long as she had enemies uh, who forced her to unity, vision, and heroism. When she had overcome all her enemies, she flourished for a moment and then began to die. And so opposition actually kept Rome strong. And when opposition comes in our lives, we have to understand that God can use that opposition to bring about an opportunity, to bring about something good for his purpose. And so Nehemiah is learning that when, when he is serious about the calling of God on his life, that there's going to be some challenges. There's also going to be uh, some very uh, pointed criticism. Because notice verse number two, it says this. And he spake uh, before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, uh, what do these feeble, uh, these weak uh, he was saying, these people are weak. What are they doing? They're, they're feeble. They're, they're, uh, these, these weak people, the Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps uh, of the rubbish which are burned? He, he's, he's mocking them here. And then he gets his friend uh, to join him in verse number three. 
So not only do we have Sanballat, but now we have Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. And he said, even that which they built, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. And he was saying, hey, this wall that you're building, that you're spending so much time and sacrificing to build, to protect your, your city and your beloved uh, temple, even if a fox leans into it and bumps it, it's just going to fall down. And so now not only does he have these serious challenges, but now he has this pointed criticism. And people didn't understand what... God was calling them to do. D.L. Moody, he said this about criticism. He said, I have lived long enough to discover that there is nothing perfect in this world. If you are to wait till you find a perfect, uh, if you are to wait till you find a perfect preacher or perfect meetings, I'm afraid that you have to wait till the millennium arrives. What we want is to be looking up to Christ. Let us be done with fault finding. You may find hundreds of fault finders among professed Christians, but all their criticism will not lead one solitary soul to Christ. He said, let's just be done with that. And so this morning, we have to recognize the task at hand. There's going to be some challenges. There's going to be some criticism. There's going to be some things that aren't easy. And as I look out at the landscape of what God has called us to do at Rock Hill Church, to to plant this church and to reach people with the life-giving, life-changing message of Jesus, there are great challenges. There is opposition, but there is great opportunity. There is great opportunity. Uh, uh, The the city of Fontana has has over 217,000 people in our city. The Inland Empire has over 4.2 million people. That is our mission field. According to Pew Research Center, only 54% of adults living in California even claim to believe in God. That's over half the people that you meet. Almost half the people that you meet will say, I don't even know if there's a God. I don't know if I believe in God. Almost 70% of adults in California uh, admit to not going to church of any kind whatsoever. That is our mission field. Can I just remind you today to recognize the task at hand, that the harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. Hey, we can't have this mindset that says, no, it can't be done. We have to have a mindset that says, no, it can be done for the glory of God. There is a great opportunity in our midst. That's why we're going to two services, and that's why we want to sacrifice, and that's why we want to be generous, because there is a great harvest that God has called us to, and it's our job to go out into our community and to urgently, compassionately compel them to come in. That's our job. That's our assignment. We have to recognize the task at hand. There will be challenges. There will be criticism. There will also be complaints. Because notice what happens in verse number 10 of our text. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of the burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish. Watch this. Now, this is the people of Judah. These are the Jews speaking here. So that we are not able to build the wall I don't know if we can do it. I don't know. They started listening to Sanballat and Tobiah. They started listening to the enemy. Maybe, maybe this is futile. Maybe this is vain. Maybe we shouldn't be trying to do this. Maybe it can't be done. Uh, I don't know. And they started to complain. See, pressures from without typically cause problems from within. They, they started to experience some pressure from without, and now there is this, this complaining that was taking place from within. See, Nehemiah, he already had to deal with the criticism from without. Now he's dealing with complaining from his own people. I don't know if this can be done. Hey, let's not be a church that sinks to the level of complaining in 2020. Let's rise above that and say, no, it can be done. We can do this uh, for the glory of God. They started to complain about the work. I was reading about the man who built the first ever helicopter. His name was Igor Sigorsky. And when he was 12 years old, he had this passion for flight, and his parents told him that competent authorities told him that human flight was impossible. And he didn't let that deter him. Of course, he went on, he built uh, the first ever helicopter. And uh, I love that in his American plant, he posted this sign, and it says this on his sign. According to recognized uh, aerotechnical tests, the bumblebee 
cannot fly because of the shape and the weight of his body in relation to the total wing area. The bumblebee does not know this, so he goes ahead and flies anyway. Hey, the world and the culture is always going to be quick to tell us what we can't do. Hey, you can't be that passionate about Jesus in this culture. You can't say that you believe uh, every word of God is true. You can't say that you believe the Bible in this culture. You can't do that. You can't have a church that values holiness in 2020. You can't do these things. Hey, but I just want to tell you today that we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. We got to have a mindset that says, no, we can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the strength of the word of God with his direction. Hey, we can do this. There's going to be complaints. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be criticism. But we have to recognize the task at hand, what God has called us to do, and say, you know what? I'm willing to do whatever it takes to see this message get out. We have to recognize the task at hand. Secondly, number two this morning, we have to rely on the God above us. Number two, rely on the God above you. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? Amen. So there's a big job to do. There's a big task at hand. For Nehemiah, it was constructing this project with all of the people criticizing and complaining. For us, we're going out and reaching our community. We're building this church. We have to re- recognize the task, but then we have to rely on the God above us. Notice verse number four. <coughs> Nehemiah says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. What, what Nehemiah does here is he does not respond to the enemy. He responds by praying and talking to God. And I love that Nehemiah, he's not praying a prayer of vengeance here. He's praying and saying, uh, God, uh, I want you to take care of those that oppose your kingdom. God, you're hearing them. God, God, you take care of this. Nehemiah uh, went to God in prayer. And I love Nehemiah. 14 times in the book of Nehemiah, we uh, hear and read of his prayers. Uh, Before he goes to the king, he prays. He's praying about his burden to build the wall. When he's in trouble, he builds the wall. After he builds the wall, he's praying. He's constantly praying. And that is a great template for us as we're building uh, the church, as as we are laboring together with God, as we're doing this ministry, that we ought to bathe every aspect of this in prayer. That we are serious about prayer. The leaders prayed. Nehemiah was the leader, and he was praying. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 says this, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And so in the New Testament, we see that, that, that Jesus challenges us to pray for those that, that are against us and to, and to love those that are against us. Nehemiah was constantly praying. John Bunyan, he said this, You can do more than pray after that you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. We've got to start with prayer. Now, there's a lot of practical ways that, that we can do this at Rock Hill. If you're with me, say amen. amen. There's a lot of ways that we can prioritize prayer in our lives. In 2020, I want to encourage you to prioritize prayer in your, in your life. One of the ways that we can do that, every Saturday, starting not this Saturday, but next Saturday, every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. at the Sierra Lake Starbucks, we have a men's prayer meeting. And I want to encourage all the men in here, I want to encourage you, you are invited to be there for men's prayer, to prioritize prayer and say, you know what, if I'm serious about the calling of God in my life, if I'm serious about my marriage and my family and what God wants me to do in this community, then I'm going to prioritize prayer. I'm going to be there for prayer. I want to encourage you to be involved with, hey, hey maybe it's the Daniel fast. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, you haven't joined in yet for the Daniel fast. I want to encourage you. It's not too late. You can start tomorrow. And, uh, and maybe, maybe you're not going to participate in eating uh, those certain things. Maybe you're just going to take a fast from social media. You're going to take a fast from, uh, from watching TV, but you're going to use that time to pray. 
Because if we want to see God work in our midst in 2020 and God is going to bless two services, we have to pray and ask him to do it. We've got to rely on the God above us. Nehemiah, he experienced that opposition. And what does he do? He doesn't respond to the opposition. He looks up and he talks to God. He says, God, will you intervene? God, will you do a work in our midst? We've got to rely on the power of prayer. Colossians 4, 2 says this. Continue. Everybody say continue. Continue, continue in prayer and watch with the same thanksgiving. And so not only did the leaders pray, but I want you to see that the laborers prayed. The, the workers prayed. Notice verse number 9. It says this, nevertheless, now, now this is the people, we, everybody say we. we, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And so now, now the, the workers, the laborers, the people are getting involved in prayer. I love what Jeremiah 33 says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. How many of you believe today that God wants to do great and mighty things in our midst? How many of you believe that God wants to do the miraculous in our midst? Then we've got to call out to him. We've got to reach up to him in prayer. Hey, what a privilege we have to pray and talk to God. Let us boldly approach the throne of grace. Man, we have this great access and privilege to talk to God whenever we want, but so often we don't take advantage of the privilege and access that God has given us. Nehemiah, he prays when opposition comes, but then the people, they gather together and they pray. If God is going to bless our church, it's not, it's not going to be because there's great preaching or great worship. It's going to be because we are people of prayer. Jesus taught his disciples not how to preach. He taught them how to pray. We've got to be people of prayer. The leaders pray. The laborers pray. I love what Ian Bounds said. He said, we can do nothing without prayer. All things can be done by importunate. Uh, that is persistent. Uh, I love the word importunate. It means persistent to the point of annoyance. So he's saying we've got to pray with that kind of passion and intensity, that, that, that we're persistent to the point of annoyance. We can do nothing without prayer. All things can be done by importunate prayer. It surmounts or removes all obstacles, overcomes every resisting force, and gains its ends in the face of invincible hindrances. God can do great things, but we have to be people of prayer. We have to, we have to rely on the God above us. This leads us to our third thought today. If we're going to have this whatever-it-takes mindset, number three, we have to rally now with those beside us. Rally with those beside you. Notice verse number six. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? amen? Verse six. So we, we, plural, everyone was involved with this. Nehemiah says, so we did this together. He didn't say, so I. He said, we. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together into the half thereof. Watch this. For the people had a mind to work. I love that. The people, they had a mind to work. They said, you know what? We're not having a, a mind to do what we want to do and to be selfish, and we don't, we don't have a mind to just please ourselves. No, we have a mind to work. We're willing to do whatever it takes. We have, we have a mind to work and to see God, to see God construct this, this wall. They had a mind to work, and I love that they did this together. And if we're going to launch a second service at Rock Hill, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a lot of intentionality and strategy, Ultimately, it's going to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's going to have to be a collective effort. We're going to have to do this together. It's not about who sits up front or who sits in back or who's old or who's young. Or It's not about any of that. We're all united together with one mission, with one cause, and that's to give God glory. That's what unites us. We've got to do it together. When I was growing up, my favorite movie was The Mighty Ducks. How many of you ever saw the movie The Mighty Ducks? All of them. D123. I love them all. They're all great. And my favorite part about that, that movie was 
when they would do, other than the knuckle puck, the knuckle puck was a great part of that movie as well. If you've never seen it, Disney Plus, $7 a month. Um, <laughs> but my favorite part about that movie was the flying V. How many of you ever... Let me remember the flying V. All the hockey players, they would get together. They would, they would kind of get in that V, and they would go, and they would score a goal. And, man, every time I watched that, I would get pumped up, fired up. I'd go put on my rollerblades and rollerblade around and do a flying V by myself. <laughs> but I love that, that flying V, the picture of that. You know, for a long time, scientists were, were really studying why birds would fly in a V formation. And uh, specifically, Canadian geese, they typically fly in this V formation. And they did these studies, and they determined that when a bird flaps its wings, it creates this upward lift for the bird that is behind them. And so they determined that when all the birds do their part in the V formation, the whole flock has a 71% greater flying range than if each bird flew alone. Each bird depends upon the other bird to get to its destination. Can I just remind you this morning that as a church, we can go further, faster if we fly in formation, if we do it together, if we strive together for the faith of the gospel. Hey, we might have our differences and we might ha have some dis disagreements, but we are united around the banner of Jesus Christ. We are united with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. And so we can put aside the conflict. We can put aside the differences and we can say, hey, let's rally with those bes beside us and let's, let's move forward for the faith of the gospel. We've got to rally with those beside us. We've got to do this together. See, God did not create us for isolation. God created us for collaboration. We've got to do this together. Romans 14, 19 says this, Let us therefore follow after. Uh, the word follow after in the New Testament uh, carries the idea of sprinting after something, pursuing something, chasing it, chasing it down. He says, let's follow after, let's chase this down. The things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. So what does he say? What is he saying? He's saying, hey, let's, let's pursue after those things. Let's chase after those things that are not going to tear each other down, but build each other up. Let's chase after those things. Let's be the first one to say, I'm sorry. Let's be the first one to let go of bitterness. Let's be the first one to let something go. We're chasing after those things that are going to build us up together. We've got to rely on the God above us, but we've got to rally uh, with the people beside us. This leads us to our fourth and final thought today, number four. If we're going to have a whatever-it-takes mindset, we have to remember what this is all about. We have to remember what this is all about. What, what is this really all about for Nehemiah? What is this really all about for us? Three things, I believe. First, our faith. It's about our faith. Notice verse 14 of our text. Nehemiah said, I looked and I rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, be ye not afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. He, he was telling the people, do you know why we're building this wall? Do you know why we're working night and day? Do you know why we're putting ourselves through this? Ultimately, it's for the Lord. It's so that we can worship the one true God that we can worship Yahweh without the enemy coming in and attacking us. Ultimately, we do this for the Lord. Why do we do what we do, and why do we want to start a second service, and why do we want to bring passion to what we do, and why do we want to reach the city of Fontana? Ultimately, it's for the Lord. It's for our faith. Amen. Jude 3 says this, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. To fight and to believe in 
and to contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You, we can read all throughout church history, there were men and women who contended for the faith. I think of people like the early reformers, like John Huss, who was a, who was a priest that, that uh, was uh, going through severe difficulty because he decided to stand up and speak out against the false doctrines of the Catholic Church. And he stood up and he was speaking out against uh, what, they were, what they were saying, and he was burned at the stake on July 6, 1415. This is what he said on the day that he died. God is my witness. The things that charged against me I never preached in the same truth of the gospel which I have written, taught, and preached, drawing upon the sayings and positions of the holy doctors. I am ready to die today. He says, I'm not going to take any of it back. I believe that salvation is by faith alone. That's what he was battling, justification by faith. It's not by works. It's not by mass. It's not by doing some rituals. It's not about those deeds. John Huss would say, no, it's about faith in Jesus Christ alone. And he was burned at the stake. Why? For the faith. Why do we do what we do? Ultimately, it's for the faith. But but secondly, it's for our families. We do it for our families because notice what he says in verse 14. Be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives. He's saying, hey, remember the Lord. We had to have a, a holy reverential fear. He is great and terrible. We had we to worship him with, with, with that kind of fear, that, that, that holy awe and reverence. Remember the Lord. It's for our faith. But then it's for our families. Nehemiah was encouraging the people, you know why we do what we do? It's for those that are coming behind us. It's for the world changers that are in Rock Hill Kids this morning. We believe in those children. We care about those children. Hey, it's for the youth that we believe have the power and the potential not to change the world someday, but to change the world right now. That's why we fight. That's why we build. That's why we do what we do. It's for our faith. It's for our families. It's for those coming behind us. It's for legacy. Christianity Today says that 66% of Americans between the ages of 23 and 30 years old say that they stop attending church after graduation. They just don't come anymore. They stop. There's a lot of different reasons for that. One is the questions that they're asking are not being answered. They, they reported some different reasons. They said people were hypocritical, 32%. They didn't connect with people, 29%. There wasn't enough opportunity, 24%. But any which way you look at it, there's a mass exodus taking place of young people from the church. So why are we doing what we do? It's for the families. It's for children. We don't want our children to graduate and to leave home and say, I'm done with God. I'm done with the church. No, we want them to say, where can I get plugged in? Where can I serve? Now this faith is real. It, it, it's for me and, and myself. And so I want to worship God, not because my family did, but because I believe it's the right thing to do. Right. Ephesians 6 talks about the family. It says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. It doesn't say when they are right. Parents, we often get it wrong. But it's a scriptural admonition for children to obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee. And thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Be patient, gentle, loving. But bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's the responsibility that we have. Why do we do what we do? It's for the family. It's to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We don't want to see 66% of the, of the teens leaving Rock Hill, never coming back. That, I'm not good with that statistic. We do this for families, for the people that are coming up 
behind us, J.C. Ryle said this, children are very quick observers, very quick in seeing through some kinds of hypocrisy, very quick in finding out what you really think and feel, very quick in adopting all your ways and your opinions. You will often discover that as the father is, so is the son. Children are watching. And that's why as parents, we have to make it a keystone habit, a non-negotiable, that we're going to be planted and rooted in the house of God on Sunday mornings. Because if children see that inconsistency, they, they, they see, well, maybe it's not that important then. And they're going to they're gonna spot that, and they're going to notice that as they watch us. We've got to make that a keystone habit. It's a non-negotiable. Why do we do what we do? It's for our faith. Remember the Lord. It's for our families. But ultimately, it's for our future. He says, and your houses. Nehemiah was encouraging the people to think about generations to come. I want to encourage our church family, think about generations to come. Think about the people that are not even in this room yet that we want to make room for. That we are preparing the way that we want to go out and boldly extend those invitations and invite them and compel them to come in. Notice verse number 16, if you would. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the habergens, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. Verse 17. They which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens. Now, now really lean in. I've preached this whole message to come to this point. Are you still with me this morning? With those that laid it, every one, one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand, he held a weapon. And so with one hand, they had a weapon, they had a spear, but in the other hand, they had a tool. They had shovels and hammers. They were building the wall. And I love this, that in verse 17, Nehemiah says, in one hand, they, had, uh, they were involved in the work, and the other hand, they were involved in war. The spear represents battle. The shovel represents building. As followers of Jesus, we're called to do both. As followers of Jesus, it's both building and battling. And they had to do it at the same time. They, they were building the wall, but they were battling against the enemy. They had spears and they had shovels. You know what it's going to take in 2020 to see God move and to see God do the miraculous in the midst? It's going to take spears and it's going to take shovels. It's going to take hands to fight. It's going to take a heart to build. Hey, building and battling spears and shovels. We're going to fight for what God wants us to fight for. We're going to build what God wants us to build. We're going to build and we're going to battle for the glory of God. Spears and shovels. Now, now, now hang with me. Now, first, they had to build the wall. They were called to build, right? They, they were building together. They, they were building this. That's what the shovel represents. The shovel represents what God has called us to build. I remember one time I was taking a college class in college, and, and I was taking coaching basketball. And uh, I wanted to, in case I ever coach a basketball team one day, I wanted to be ready. And so I was taking this coaching basketball class, and I'll, I'll never forget my professor, my coach. He said this. He said, there's a big difference between coaching a team and building a program. There's a big difference between coaching a team and building a program. When you coach a team, you're concerned with practices, you're concerned with games, you're concerned with, with those sorts of things. But when you're building a program, 
You're thinking about a lot more things. You're thinking about the locker rooms that need to be upgraded. You're thinking about the jerseys that need to be upgraded. You're thinking about recruiting. You're thinking about the players. There's a big difference between coaching a team and building a program. And at Rock Hill, hey, we're not just playing games. You're not just on a team. You're not just on the parking team. You're not just on the usher team. You're not just on the kids team. No, we are building the kingdom of God. We are laborers together with God. We've been called to build for his glory. We're called to build. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, grab that shovel and say, I'm going to build for the glory of God. I I recognize that when I come into church, it's more than just what am I going to get out of it today. It's no, I'm building the kingdom of God. In 2020, as we start a second service, what do we want to do? We want to build together. We're laborers together. We're building. But just know, whatever you want to construct, the devil wants it to collapse. And so that's why, in our other hand, we have to have a weapon. I love this. They were involved in the work and the weapon. This is a great pointer. This is better than a laser pointer. This is a a spear. Work and the weapon. In the other hand, they had a weapon. This this Christmas break, my son Luke, he wanted to play Jenga with me. And uh, I was was trying to build up the Tower of Jenga. And, of course, all Luke wanted to do was just knock knock down the the whole thing, right? He didn't really understand exactly how to play. All he knew is that when I got that thing up, he was going to crash it over. He just wanted to see it collapse. And that is exactly what the devil wants to do in your life. Whatever you are serious about building, the devil wants it to collapse. Maybe this morning God is calling you to pick up the shovel and start building and investing into your family, building and investing into your marriage, building and investing into this church. Maybe God is calling you to build, and at the same time, the devil's looking to attack. And so that's why with that other hand, you got to pick up a weapon and say, you know what, I'm going to build for God's glory, but I'm also going to battle for God's glory. I'm not going to neglect what God has called me to protect. We've got to build, and we've got to battle for the glory of God. So I'm Psalm 18, verse number 39 says this, For thou hast girded me with strength unto the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. A heart to build and hands to battle. I'm going to read one more verse as I read this. Would you join me in standing this morning? Psalm 144, verse number 1 says this, Blessed be the Lord, my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. The enemy wants to tear down what we are building up. This morning, what is it going to take to see God work? We're willing to do whatever it takes, but what is it going to take? It's going to take building and battling. It's going to take spears and shovels. This morning, I want to encourage you, recognize the task at hand. Hey, the harvest is plenteous. Rely on the God above us. 2020 has to be a year of prayer. We have to rally with those beside us. We're going to do this together for the faith of the gospel. And then we have to remember what this is all about. It's about our faith. It's about our Lord. It's about his glory. It's about our families. It's about the future of this church and future generations that are coming up after us. We have to be willing to do whatever it takes for their sake. Spears and shovels. Let's let 2020 be a year where we're serious about building and we're serious about battling for God's glory. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.com.